Good morning. If you will, get out your Bible, turn on your Bible, whatever you're doing nowadays, um, and go ahead and turn to the book of John. We'll be in chapter six, um, all of today. We won't be bouncing around like we did last week. I know last week we had a lot of scripture, very scripture heavy. This week we're going to be consolidating just to the chapter of chapter six. Before I get started this morning, um, I really have to start making an announcement now. And I want y'all to understand something. I do not like making announcements once we start worship. Once we start worship, our hearts, our minds, everything about us should be focused on Christ. And anything that draws attention away from that is, it just defeats the purpose of what we're trying to do here. But one thing that I have to mention this morning and I will have to mention it for the next couple of Sunday mornings, pertains to our live streaming. And that's the reason I have to do this right now. We want to do it at a time to where this will for sure be on our live stream. Um, but at the same time, due to some things that are some people want to say it's a gray area, but really it's not a gray area when you're dealing with copyright law. When you're dealing with copyright law, you run into a big headache, a huge headache. And over the last two years, we've been in a grace period to where they told us to go ahead, stream the whole service, don't worry about the music that's being played, it's fine. But the truth is, it's not fine. Truth is, it's a copyright infringement. And we want to be people of the word. We want to be people who do things appropriately. So how we are going to be navigating this is on Sundays, starting after Easter, after Sunday the 17th, we will be live streaming our Easter service, but that will be the last time we live stream. We will still be recording our services. So all you who are listening to me or watching me right now, we still will be doing this. We will be editing the video. We will be cutting out the things that need to be cut out. And then this video or this service will premiere at six o'clock on Sunday evenings. So just to be clear, we're doing this because we want to be good stewards and we want to be doing what's right. Um, I know a lot of people are going to have a lot of questions about that. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand it either. And I know some of you are even going to say, well, this church is doing it. That church is doing it. I'm not that church. I'm this church. And we're going to hold to what is right. We're going to hold to what is legal. And even right now, as we speak, I guarantee you our YouTube is already being dinged with red flags because of copyright infringements. So after April 17th, we will no longer be live streaming. We will be recording. That service will be posted at 6 p.m., that evening, and you will be able to watch the preaching. If we have instrumentals to where someone is playing the piano, we will be able to keep that in there. But when it comes to what we call the canned music, the music that you hear, we will not be doing that anymore. We're still going forward. We're still pressing on. And I know, guys, there's a part of me that just wants to rebel against it all. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all want to rebel against it all too? I really want to rebel against it all. As a matter of fact, I have a big problem, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I have a big problem whenever orders are given to me. Man, I can't stand it. I want to do the exact opposite of whatever is told to me. 
And just the thought of those orders makes that rebellious spirit inside of me just rage even more. What's funny is even now, I see that rebellious spirit lashing, gripping its long claws into my boys' hearts. Especially, especially when it comes to supper time. For those who are parenting or have parenting, you know what I'm talking about. But this spirit just doesn't stay with kids. It just doesn't stay with adults. We used to have a French bulldog. Her name was Ty Baby. She was, the most, she was my little baby girl. I love that dog. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love that dog more than I love people. It was always happy to see me. She jumped up in my lap, licked me. I'd give anything if that people were that happy to see me. But when it <laughs> do not lick me after service. Let me just make that clear. Do not do that. But when it comes to supper time for Ty baby, she was a very picky eater. And she never liked what we give her. And she'd always do this thing with her food bowl. She would do this flipping thing with her paw to where it would launch the food out of the bowl. And we had a steel bowl, so it was loud. You could hear it all through the house. She'd be sitting there. Just putting food everywhere. And even if we put food in it that she liked, even if we put food in it when she, that she liked, when that food bowl got empty, guess what we started hearing? That same clanking sound. We finally got rid of that bowl. Mom got, my, my mom, I'm going to be honest with you, she loved her grand dog. Is that what you would call her? Mom went to Disney one year and mom bought Ty Baby this little princess Cinderella bowl. She loved that fur baby. She did, but she bought her that little bowl and I, I was just amazed at how much joy that dog brought to our lives. But even in my dog, I could see that rebellious spirit. You know, when it comes to that spirit, we make light of it a lot of times. We throw it off like it's nothing. But that spirit is something that should never be ignored. That spirit is just one of the wars that rage within us, just one of them. And these are the wars that Paul talked about when he talked about the battles that we fight are not against flesh and blood. What you need to realize about this spirit is this spirit is absolutely, completely wicked. This is the same spirit that was seen in Jezebel. This is the same spirit that was seen in Manasseh. And this is the same spirit that was seen in, G in Judas when he betrayed Christ. And you know what the Bible says about all three of those individuals? It says they were an abomination to God. That same spirit, that rebellious spirit that all of us have in it, all of us have in us, can become something a lot more than what we think it is if we're not cautious. We, we could even be a abomination ourselves. This spirit is present in kids, in teens, and it's in senior adults. And it's a battle. It's a battle. The one thing that brings me comfort is it is a battle that can be overcome. A lot of people think that Jesus 
He did not, he didn't experience things like this. When Jesus was tempted, don't miss this. Jesus had the opportunity to rebel. Jesus had the opportunity before him to rebel, but he chose to hold to the will that he was sent to accomplish. Not only that, we can see, we can almost see this humanity part of Jesus in Gethsemane when he's praying in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. I want you to listen to what Jesus says. My father, if possible, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But he stops. He stops. And he says, yet, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus understands everything that we go through on a daily basis. He understands every temptation because Jesus was fully human. He was fully God and fully human. He can sympathize with us. He understands our struggles. He understands the draws of the desires and the rebellion. Yet, he kept his mind focused on what it was he came to do. Started last week talking about why he came. And this week, we're gonna see what Jesus says about why he came in John chapter six. And the first part we're gonna start off with is we're gonna start off in verse 35. If you will, read along with me in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father, has get, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will. Underline that. I have come from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of, the, of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I Lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last days. Pray with me. Father, sometimes, sometimes your truth the truth of your word is so simple. It's so right in front of our faces that a lot of times we miss it. A lot of times we want to look to the complexity of the scripture. But you've even told us that it's so simple that a child can understand it. Father, I pray today that you would help us to look at this scripture as a child that you would help us to look deep inside of ourselves and see the things that don't line up with what this scripture says. 
And Father, I pray that you would help us to remove those things from our life. Father, I'm so thankful for every single individual that is here and every single individual that is online this morning. I pray that you would do a work in their lives that only can be explained by your Holy Spirit. But Father, I also pray this morning for the Burnett family, the Atkins family, and the Buchanan family as well. It's been a, been a rough week, Lord. A lot of people that were dear to many of us have gone on home to be with you. And that leaves many of us here hurting, not understanding. And Father, that's why I'm so thankful this morning that your son has given us a hope that goes beyond this world. This morning, I pray that you help us continue to look to that hope. This morning, Lord, I pray for eyes to see, for ears to hear, and a heart to understand what it is that your word has for us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all you do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I said in my prayer, there's some things that are in God's word that are so simple and so right there in front of our face that we often miss them. And the first thing that I wanna point out, because this really isn't about what I'm speaking on today, but what I wanna point out to you more than anything other than the main part is the security and the assurance that these five verses give to those who truly believe in Jesus. In verse 35, he says that those who come to me will never thirst. In verse 37, he said, those who come to me, I will certainly not cast out. In verse 39, he says, all given to me, I lose nothing. And then in verse 40, he says, I will raise them up. These are promises. These are promises and these are assurances to us as believers to know that Christ is gonna complete the work that he started in us. We do have a belief that is assurance of salvation. A lot of people wanna say, well, you're talking about once saved, always saved. In a sense, yes, I am talking about once saved, always saved. But in another sense, that term has been turned around to be something kinda bad. Because people think that simply because they are saved that they can live their life as they want to do it, no matter what it does. No matter how much it contradicts God's word, they can live their life to the fullest or how they see it. Insecurity is something that every single one of us battle with. Everybody in here is insecure about something in their life. And in a world where we are certainly and constantly evaluating ourselves and comparing ourselves to others, we never seem to measure up to what we have or what we think we have for our life. This negative self-image, because that's what it is, it's a negative self-image, affects every aspect of our lives. It affects us physically. It affects us mentally. But at the same time, it affects us spiritually as well. And this is, this is why many people 
Many people live in a world of I quit. How many of you know somebody like that? Everything they start, they quit. Everything they do, they quit. Quitting is an act of rebellion. When we quit, when we quit something, we are rebelling against our sp- ourselves. Spouses are constantly quitting on a daily basis. Why are they quitting? Let's just be honest. Is anybody in here perfect? <coughs> Jennifer, have I ever made a mistake? <laughs> Thank you, brother Al, I appreciate that. Have I ever made a mistake? Yes. And you know what? The more mistakes I make in my marriage, the more I have this feeling of, you know what? Enough. I can't do this. I just can't do this. When it comes to parenting, I am one mistake after another. It's constant mistakes. And you know what? We look at, we look at people and we think, well, they got it figured out as a parent. Let me just go ahead and give you a little secret. Nobody's got it figured out. Our kids are guinea pigs. We try something if it works. If it doesn't work, we try something else. And if that don't work, we'll try something else again. But none of us are perfect when it comes to parenting. I want to tell you something. This is the attitude that causes many moms and even many fathers to abandon their kids. Kids, teenagers, it's even harder for, even hard for y'all at school. You constantly feel like you're having to measure up to the person beside you. You're always trying to achieve that level of being at the top of your class. If you wanna be at the top of your class, let me give you a little secret. Go to Woody Gap. This year, everybody in that class will graduate within the top five of their class. There's only five graduates, but everybody will graduate within the top five of their class. You want to be at the top, that's where you need to go. But it's pressure. It's pressure to measure up. At our jobs, at our jobs, we're constantly evaluating our progress with other people's. I'm the same way, guys. I'm the same way. January 16th, 2008, I was voted in as youth pastor of Harmony Grove Baptist Church. January 17th, I was sitting down there trying to figure out what do I do now? I even went to Tommy's office. Tommy gave me some very encouraging advice. You'll figure it out. God bless you. (laughs) April 30th, 2014, I was voted in as pastor of Harmony Grove Baptist Church. Y'all know what happened on May 1st, 2014? Jerry had a heart attack. You want to talk about something really messing with your self-esteem. You get voted in, your associate pastor has a heart attack. You're thinking, did I have something to do with that? (laughs) It can mess with a person. It can mess with a person, but we all deal with these insecurities. What Jesus is trying to stress here, and I want you to hear me on this before we get into the rest of the sermon. What Jesus is trying to stress here is the fact that your salvation is secure. 
It's not about what you do. It's not about what you don't. It's about who he is and what he's done for you that makes your salvation secure. Sorry. And you know, we think, I want you to think about this for a second. We think that God's will hinges on us, don't we? You know what that is? That's narcissistic Christianity. That's narcissistic Christianity. And that is a Christianity that is very prevalent in our nation today. It's a Christianity to where we think everything is about us. We think the worship, it's about us. We think the way the pastor comes and presents the message, we think it's about us. We think the style or the carpet or the pews, we think that it's all about us. Brothers and sisters, the church is the only organization that does not exist for itself. We are the only organization that does not exist for ourselves. We exist for Jesus. And we exist for his will to be done in our lives and for us to do his will on this earth. So what is his will? What is his will? I'm glad you asked that question. Good question, guys. Look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. John chapter six is a pretty interesting chapter, especially if you're Baptist. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because from the very beginning of John chapter six to the very end, it's all about food. That's all you see. At the beginning of John chapter six, you see the feeding of the 5,000. Then you see Jesus talking about how he is the bread of life. Then there's an argument about what that means. There's some people who think, well, you may be the bread of life, but you're not enough. I want something more. And then he goes into the, the scripture that you really don't want to read to your children, especially at night when he talks about eating my flesh, drinking my blood. But he's using this as an illustration to draw us in to what it is that Jesus is really saying. So since this is about eating, I brought a utensil. Who knows what that is? You're very right. Don't be afraid. It's a fork. It's a fork. And this fork is created for who? Yeah, but I use it a lot. It may be created for kids, but I still use it. I grab it. This is a great pickle fork. This is an awesome pickle fork. But this is the fork that we start off eating with. This is the fork that when our mom first starts taking us off that bottle that she started using to dip it in, to, dip, to get the food and put it in our mouth. This is Colton's first fork. Colton's first fork. It's his favorite fork because it's orange and his daddy's favorite color is orange and he wants to be like his daddy, so pray for him, please. But he says right there, I am the bread of life. What does bread do? Bread gives us life. Bread nourishes life. 
Bread energizes life and bread sustains life. The first bite of this bread is the bite of salvation. This is when we taste and see that the Lord is good. This is when we realize the need for this bread in our lives. But what's harsh and what's hard is there's different breads out there. There's different breads out there that look good, that sound good, but they don't give the same nourishment as the bread of life. Go back to when you was a kid. For some of you, this is gonna be easier than you think. But go back to when you were a kid. Think about the meal that your mom put before you or the meal that your dad put before you. How many of y'all wanted that meal? Y'all remember mom's hamburger? Has at least a half pound of ground beef. Did you want that hamburger? No, you wanted that flimsy McDonald's hamburger that had a sliver of meat in it. Did you want those vegetables? No, you didn't want those vegetables. You wanted macaroni and cheese, and that's all you wanted. Even today, we still have this battle. We put food in front of our kids. Is that what they want? No, they want an Encrustable. You know what an Encrustable is? If you've never had an Encrustable, go to the store, buy them, Don't buy all of them because parents need them right now. Trust me. Put them in the freezer, freeze those things, and send me the nicest email thanking me for showing you this beautiful God-given gift that we have in a frozen Encrustable. We don't always want what is put on our plate, do we? We don't want to eat what is put on our plate because a lot of the times, the things that are put on our plate are put on our plate to help us grow, to help us mature, to help us be be adults. Which means that eventually, after salvation, when we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we have to put this fork down. And we have to pick up this one. What's funny is this is the fork or one like this, is the fork that my boys run to now. When they go to the drawer to get their forks, they don't want this fork no more because this fork symbolizes that they're a little kid. But this fork symbolizes that they're a grown-up. That second bite, first thing I want to say about the first bite. The first bite, once you take it, you never have to take that first bite again because that first bite sealed your salvation. But this second bite, this third bite, and this fourth bite, they are bites that you have to continually take. You have to continually take the bite that helps you grow. That's the second bite that helps you grow into maturity. This is where you're eating of the word of God. This is where you're taking time to devour it on a daily basis. But then there's also the bite that gives you passion. The more you read God's word, the more it does something inside of you. It gives you a passion. And this is a passion that you cannot contain. It's a passion that you cannot do away with. 
When I was growing up, one of the things that I hated more than anything, and mom never even cooked them much, went over to a friend's house one time, they had it. They had boiled asparagus. Have y'all ever had a boiled asparagus? That's nasty. That is nasty. Boiled asparagus is the nastiest thing I have ever put in my mouth besides pickled okra. That was horrible. Tuck one bite of pickled okra, slime shot out both sides of my mouth. I have never touched okra again, and I never will. But a couple of years ago, I learned something about asparagus. While it's nasty if you boil it, if you cover it in olive oil and you put some salt on it and you throw it on the grill, And you know what's bad is we have winter, we have four seasons. So there's only so many grilling season, uh, times you have for grilling in the year. But I learned a secret. You can put it on a piece of tinfoil. You can put it in your oven and hit broil. It does the same thing. So in the winter, you can have that. Oh, tell you something else. Broccoli. Oh my dear Lord. My boys will eat broccoli if we put it in the oven. That's the only way they'll eat it. Brussels sprouts, they're awesome. But this brought a passion because the more I ate, the more I wanted these foods. And this passion is only filled by doing what I want. Eating that asparagus, eating that broccoli, or eating those Brussels sprouts. After a while, after that third bite, That passion becomes so intense in you that you don't only want to read the Bible, you want to do what it says. This is where we get hung up. Because it's one thing to read the Bible, but it's another thing to let it change you. Because when it changes you, that spirit of rebellion goes into overdrive. You start waging war with yourself. You know the things that you ought to do, but those are not the things that you want to do. So you keep going for the things that you desire. And you know what happens? That passion that you had for God's word starts to plummet. And before you know it, you find yourself reading maybe once a week. Then eventually it's once a month. And the next thing you know, you never pick it up at all. The only time you pick up your Bible is to come to church. You wipe the dust off of it. You bring it with you. You open it to wherever we tell you to open it. But that's it. The reason we don't like moving from this fork is because there's only one other fork that comes after this one. It's this one. This isn't a fork you eat with. You can, I wouldn't advise it, but this isn't a fork that you eat with. What's this fork for? This is the fork you serve with. This is where the rubber meets the road. 
Because after that third bite, then comes a fourth bite. And that fourth bite sustains you. It keeps you going. And the more you see God work in your life by serving others, the more passion you have. The more growth comes out of you. And the more you're thankful for that first bite that you took that gave you the salvation that you have. When Jesus came to this earth, he says, I came to do the will of the Father. Jesus coming to earth started with this fork. But as he matured from a young lad, he had to move on to this fork. After he got to a point where he was feeding himself well enough, he eventually had to move on to this fork. So what exactly does this fork look like? Turn with me over, just a couple of verses over. We're gonna pick up in verse 53. It says, though Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of, my son, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he, eat, <clears throat> he who eats me also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread, he will live forever. When I was growing up, one of the things that I hated dinner time. I really did. It's hard to believe now, isn't it? Check that out. But I hated dinner time. The reason I hated dinner time is because I grew up in a mind, I grew up in a day where whatever was put on your plate, you ate. Y'all remember that? And whatever was on there, you cleaned your plate. I think this is why I am a beast now, because it's hard for me to turn away from food. But Jesus was served a plate. Jesus was served a plate. And even in Gethsemane, a point's proven. There were things on that plate that he wasn't so sure about. But Jesus ate everything on his plate. Brothers and sisters, how many of you have ate everything on your plate? The plate that God is serving you.
Because it's not of your will. It's of his. And this is the will for you. Whatever he has you to do. And I know everybody, I get a lot of people ask me, well, Scotty, I'm just not sure what God wants me to do. Let me give you three things. And these three things we're going to be focusing on a lot over the next couple of months. Three things that apply to the will for God has for your life. Worship. He desires that you worship him. He desires that you worship him and him alone. The next thing is evangelism. He desires that you share him. He didn't come. Yes, he is your personal savior, but he didn't come here so you can keep it personal. He came to tell you the news of him. And once he finds you, he expects you to do the same thing. And the third thing is discipleship. His will is for you to help others grow while you grow at the same time. You know what that means? This is the fork that everybody should eventually be using. There comes a time to where we get intellectually obese. And when we get to that point and we think that there's more that we need to know about the Bible, let me help you. When you get to that point where you think you need to know more about the Bible, it's time to pick up this fork because it's time for you to start using what you already know. Because the things that you need to know more about, you will never know more about it until you are applying it. Because when you apply it, when you absorb it, when you allow it to become a part of you, that is when you truly grow and mature in your faith. I know a lot of people who know about Jesus. Even Satan knows about Jesus. But does that mean they have a relationship with him? No. That's why it's all got to start here. It's all got to start right here. So how many of you have ate everything Jesus has put on your plate? Because he ate everything. He came. He lived a sinless life. Not only did he do that, he gave his life. He gave his body. He gave his blood so that you could move on to the next step. But he never wanted you to stay there. He eventually wants you to be here. Have you ate everything on your plate? So how does this apply to us? There's some people who need to pick up this fork. There's some people that you know deep down inside you've been in a rebellion against God for a long time. You know he has been drawing you. You know that he gave his life for you, but you've just never picked up this fork and tasted to see how good he is. This morning, I invite you to pick up this fork, 
to trust in Jesus, to taste and see that he is good and to surrender your life to his will. Some of us are right here. We've already got this fork. and We've never moved on to here. We've never taken an initiative on our own to find out what the Bible has to say and what it has to say for us. If this is you right here, right here, moving on to here, I invite you to be a part of a small group. Small groups, Sunday school, are the best place for you to get plugged in on seeing what the Word of God has for your life, how it affects others, how it changes others, and how you can use it as a change in your life. But some of you are right here, and you need to be right here. And you say, well, Scotty, how do I get right here? How do I know what God's will from my life is. Worship, evangelism, discipleship. Worship, evangelism, discipleship. Are you serving in worship? Are you serving in daily worship? I'm not talking about just worship here. I'm talking about daily worship. Have you ever shared your faith? Well, I don't know how to start. Good news, get in a small group. We're gonna be teaching you very soon. Well, what about discipleship? How do, I be, how do I be a disciple? Disciple is doing what Jesus did. And brothers and sisters, the biggest enemy that we have to move in this fork is our insecurity. We don't think we can do it, do we? God served Jesus from this fork. Jesus picked it up ate it, and then he started serving with this fork. Jesus served us with this fork. We picked it up and we ate it with this fork. We got nourishment from this fork, but eventually every one of us should be using this fork. Father, your word is so simple, your word is so true, and sometimes we make it more complicated than what it is. You came to give us life. You came to give your body for nourishment. You came to give your blood as a sin offering to us, just like we talked about last week. But you also came to show us, Lord, that the will that God has for you is much like the will that you have for us. You came to serve. And as we surrender our lives to you, we take on that same submissive servitude heart that you had. And we start to serve others. Father, Help us to eat everything that you put on the plate before us. Help us not to look to our own securities for this, but help us to look to the security of you saved us. And Father, you saved us for a purpose. And that purpose is your will. Worship, 
evangelism, discipleship. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.